Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday Satsang. Last week, I perceived that there was quite a lot of fear going on in our community around the topic of death. And it's not surprising because we're in a situation where people are dying from an unseen, invisible pathogen. And whilst we might think that, you know, we're in good health, we're okay, you just don't know, do you? Even though you assume you're going to be fine and we do everything we can to ensure that we're healthy and so forth, I just thought it might be worthwhile having a session looking at uh, death as a subject, a spiritual subject, and I don't want to um, have a morbid discussion about death, but I would like to share some stories that I felt had truth in them, as well as some of my own experiences with people who were leaving their body, people who were um, in those final stages, and even the occasional person uh, who was uh, leaving their body and helping them do it properly, calling them back so they could do it better, you know. Um, And as well as that, there's been many conversations that I've had, uh, usually at the behest of family members, with people who've already left their body. So I wanted to share some of these things today because I think that we've all been brainwashed in a really negative way around death. And I think that's because we live in a culture where materialism is seen as the only reality. If you can't see it, touch it, bang a nail into it, it's not real. And of course, this materialist culture in which the physical is all there is, gives rise to incredible terror and fear at the idea that our physical body might deteriorate and then eventually not house us anymore and that we will have to leave that physical body. People are incredibly terrified of all of that. So I thought, let's just have a little look at this and There's a couple of excellent books that I've been looking at recently. And the first one is Testimony of Light by Helen uh, Graves. It's a truly amazing uh, read. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. And the other one is um, this one by Michael Newton. It's called Memories of the Afterlife. And it's stories about life between lives and what happens to us. So um, I thought we might just start with a story from, I like stories, you like stories, don't you? We'll start with stories and then after we've had a few stories and a few observations about how this seems to be playing out for people in other dimensions, then I thought we'd do some clearing around our own fears, around our mortality, because let's face it, all of us are going to at one stage or another leave our bodies We might as well get comfortable with that idea, drop the fear, and then be able to lead a more peaceful life and a richer life while we're here. Uh, What's that saying? Um, Live every day as if if it's your last one. I think um, that's a very good idea. 
but also not be not be fearful about when the last day will come. So in this book about um, memories of the afterlife, there was a woman who's known in the book as Danny. They're all false names and stuff, but basically this book, Memories of the Afterlife, is a group of people who do life between life um, regression. So they don't just um, take you back to a past life. Well, they do that too. And then you get to see how your current situations are continuations of stories that started in another life. And you get to see how it is that the character that you play in this life and that other people in your life play are actually people that have played other characters in other lives and that many of the relationship um, characteristics and qualities will flow with us from one life to the other. So if you had someone who was very, very loving and beautiful, you had a great relationship, it'll be easy in this life. Whereas if there was challenges in another life, then that will usually flow through and the idea is that we are able to heal that challenge in this life. Often, of course, we add to the challenge, we add to the problem instead of nullifying it, and then we have to go around again in the next life. Anyway, this business of life between lives is really the focus of this book. What happens while you're on the inner plane between the lifetimes? And so they have a whole series of of stories in this book, and I just picked this one because I thought it was a, a typical story from this book. So Danny was shown a series of past life experiences that illustrated that groups of souls incarnate together repeatedly, playing different roles in order to achieve important life objectives and to help each other. For example, Danny senses this strongly in her close soul connection with Jeremiah, who's a dear friend she doesn't see very often, but who in past lives played very different roles as her partner, her brother and her lover. With this overview, Danny was able to make comparisons with and understandings about her relationships in her current life. But she wondered, how do these souls relate to each other in the spirit world between lives and have the lessons learned from past lives been recognised and absorbed in her current life, as in have I learnt what I was supposed to learn? So she turned to life between life therapy to seek the answers. So here's what the um, therapist then says. The therapist says, The entry into hypnosis to go between lives was quite slow and Danny reached a deep level. We'd worked together many times before and I already knew that she was a good hypnosis subject. In the past life that preceded entry into the spirit world, she was aged 19, living near Canterbury in England and about to marry Terence, who is her husband Kevin today. Moving forward to the end of that life, she was aged 54 and alone, struggling for breath and dying, just as her husband found her. It wasn't a very hard life. However, its lessons were significant, as we discover with Danny as she enters the between life state. Between lives, she was met by her guide, Tian, who features both male and female sides, was stern and compassionate, respectively. She has little choice. She has to visit what she calls her panel first. This is also frequently called a council of elders. And on the way, Tian asks if she feels she's put enough effort into the life that she just had. Um, And she remembers that she'd actually expected that she would put more effort in, but that she hadn't. And she remembered that as she was, um, that she remembered she'd actually been coasting in her last life. 
In a visualisation, Danny's standing outside huge wooden doors and finds that they won't open until there's a sense that she's had enough time to consider her actions in her past life in order to better understand them. When she does enter, the panel appears to be strangely unfamiliar at first. Danny would learn that we can be the co-creators of uncertainty with our first visual spiritual images of these new scenes. But as Danny, she must learn to see beyond what she initially fears. Artificial illusions, like masks, can be removed by courage for greater clarity. So she found herself in front of this panel, but as if she was lower than them and looking up. She asked her guide, what's this about? And the guide said to her, in between lives, you're going to see what you expect to see. If you expect to see something fearful, then you will. If you expect to be judged, then you will have that experience. So she was asked by her guide to be still and to trust. And soon the panel she was in front of morphed um, and turned out to be a panel of seven people who were very friendly and loving towards her. So it was only her initial fear that made them look like they were intimidating. So during the telepathic communication with her panel, she said, I feel that I wasted time and was too quick to judge other people. I didn't use the life in the way it could have been used. I didn't make it what it could have been. I didn't really understand how I could have made it different, but the thing is I was just lazy. I took what came my way, whereas I could have been a force for good in my community. But I didn't join in. I just kept myself separate. The potential for healing within me didn't have a chance to show itself, even with my own children. I could have shared a lot of knowledge with my children. And she concludes, I didn't use the life as I could have. It could have been meaningful and it doesn't matter how long life is, making meaningful connection with other people multiplies upon itself. So she um, she had a number of these um, visits between lives and she got to see a whole stack of different lives and how each life gave her a jigsaw puzzle piece that allowed her to get some understanding of what what's going on for her in this life. And what she came to realise was that in this life she's a person who kind of just slops along and that she doesn't give everything 100%. And she came to see from the Life Between Life session that, in fact, she's going to just waste this life if she doesn't start to actually engage and to give everything 100%. And so she she then says, Danny says, I'm kind of sloppy in how I do things. I now know I have to give everything 100% of myself and to do everything with intention. And this business about intention is the important part. I, if I fix my intention, I have to follow it through. And this relates to my healing and my healing gift. It's a gift I have. I have to build on that and not just fall back on it. The intuition is the first step, but the reason I have a brain is to take this further. It's not just about what I'm being taught. It's what I can apply myself to using the teachings from the inner world. So there was clearly a situation going on here where she was regressed to something that was so practical and so real. And um, in this book, they have loads and loads of people who are regressed into these life between life sessions, and they don't all chat to each other beforehand. Um, And some of them have never 
had any exposure to anything like this before. They've never studied the subject. They haven't read this guy's books. They don't have anything that would presuppose them to have certain types of um, experiences whilst they're under hypnosis. But there's all these common threads and the common threads seem to be um, that you get taken into this um, light-filled area, that you're taken before a group of people and that those people lovingly assist us to review the life we've just had, that this is not critical, it's not hell, it's not the pearly gates of judgment where it's like you've been good, you can go to heaven, you've been bad, you go to hell. There's actually no, there's no talk of hell in any of the stories or in the other book which I'll be referring to shortly. It's like that's just been put there to scare people and it's not real. However, if we leave our life thinking that something like that is real, then we can actually manufacture um, a story like that if we really feel very guilty about our life and we haven't lived well, we haven't been a good person, then we could find ourselves in that situation. But frankly, none of you are going to be in that situation. Uh, you're all people who are interested in the spiritual life. You're all people who apply yourself to at least to some degree in your spiritual world. And so, of course, you're going to have an experience that's going to be light-filled. So I think that there's um, nothing to worry about. You're certainly not going to end as a being. You know, I was listening to something online the other day and the, and the person was saying, have you ever seen a dead person? And a few of the person, people going, oh, don't know, no, or yes. He said, no, you haven't seen a dead person. You've seen a dead body perhaps, but it's only the body. The person isn't there anymore. The person's gone. And we would all have a common experience that that is what happens when somebody's no longer in their body. If you've ever been to a funeral where there's been an open coffin um, or seen someone after they've left their body, they're just not there. It's an empty shell of what was once that person. So in terms of where do they go and what happens, I think that's what a lot of the fear is about and that's why these books are such a godsend that we can um, have a little look at these things. So um, sometimes souls see the council they appear before as animals and the author thinks that's because there's a lot of spiritual traditions that tell you that if you don't live to your fullest in your life, then you'll regress to be an animal in your next life. And so therefore they see the panel as being animals. However, when they connect with their guide and the guide just loves them, isn't there to judge them, it's just like their best friend, they feel like, oh, my God, I just love you, you're my best friend, he'll just say or she'll just say, just breathe, just, um, don't know if they actually breathe, but I guess they'd be used to breathing, just calm down, just open your mind and and then they morph. They're not animals. They end up being people, light-filled people and wise people at that who were there to help. And it's not about criticism. It's about, oh, how do we turn this into an opportunity? How do we turn this into wisdom? How do we turn this into light? How can we feel bliss and lightness about everything that's happened? And what would we do in order to balance this fully? So it seems to be quite an uplifting rather than a punishing model that happens after life in accordance with what this book says. There was another story in here that I thought you'd like as well. All right, so here's this other guy called Marcus. So he's one of the people in this book, Marcus. He was an intelligent, articulate, confident man working in the logical, factual world of computers. 
he might not have developed any interest in spiritual matters had he and his wife not spent some time living in a haunted house, which gave him direct experience of weird stuff going on that didn't fit his paradigm um, and didn't fit into the uh, rational model that he would have liked his world to continue to have. So um, he had lots of questions and, you know, he was really in his mind about everything. And when the therapist tried to put him in hypnosis, um, half his body relaxed, the left half of his body relaxed, and the right half of his body was tense like a, a drawn-back bow and arrow. And so she said, oh, well, your intuitive side, the left side of your body is okay with this, but your rational side is having a really tough time. And she led him through relaxation, letting go, getting the two halves to kind of be okay with each other. And then, bam, he went back into a past life in the 19th century, uh, so in the 1800s, where he was cheated by a business partner. He was extremely angry and forcefully accused the man, but his partner wouldn't apologise and refused to accept any responsibility. And Marcus was able to recognise this same soul as a person that he had difficulty with in this life. And from the soul perspective, he saw that the karmic lesson was actually learning to let go and learning to forgive. It wasn't about being right. It wasn't about showing the other guy that he was wrong. It was, out, it was all about forgiveness and letting go. So anyway, he moved quite rapidly through his own death in that life and then entered into the life between life type session. And he said that at the end of that life, he was rising up and away from earth at breathtaking speed. He saw a tunnel and moved towards it and into it. The speed of the movement and the many colours that surrounded him and, and the completely different way of thinking were mind-blowing. Instead of the expected lightness, it was warm and thick, almost like a liquid, but it was pure love. As he experienced this, he commented, time isn't linear here. It's so thick around you. There's a shield around time. Outside, you experience linear time, but inside, everything's accessible all at once. He spent a few more moments experimenting by himself in and out, wholly in and then half out of this amazing space in order to experience and understand the different realities. He commented that it felt like half of his body was in the spirit world while the other half stayed in the physical world. And then this is what he said. The source is so powerful, you can't join until you're ready, otherwise you'd be blown apart. I'm not close to the source, but I feel very connected. As a soul, I've been here before, I think. I think there are things I generally have to attend to before meeting my guide. The speed's incredible. There's no limits. If you have the awareness, there's no limits, but it's easy to get lost. You learn. The younger ones, they have to be watched. They're like children. They're mischievous little monkeys. They get lost and frightened if they're not careful and someone has to go and fetch them back again. I'm an old soul. I don't know how old. I keep an eye on them. I can go very fast. It feels fantastic. There's no time. You have wonderful control over your environment and your ability to move around in it. So after he'd spent time with these younger souls that he felt were his charges, he met his guide called Peter. He made a strong telepathic connection, imagining a beam of light going from his heart to Peter's heart, and then he asked to be given information one stage above 
the level that Peter thought he was ready for. So Marcus is a bit of a smarty pants, right? So give me more than I'm capable of. Give me the the super deluxe, more than I'm ready for package, please. Um, <laughs> Peter, Peter said, are you sure? And Marcus says, yeah, give it to me. What happened next was a shock to both the therapist and to Marcus. Marcus was jolted violently in his reclining chair. Then followed loud exclamations of, oh, my God, oh, my God. This went on for some minutes. Marcus had received a massive download of information from his guide, resulting in a change to his energy body around the heart and solar plexus chakras. He was gasping. Oh, my God, there's so much going on. I can't put it into words. Communication is phenomenally fast. I've just been told 10 million things. Here's X, Y, Z for you to consume. It's going to take me years to process this, to process this information. I'm going to have to learn to meditate. I love physical sensation and passion, but I have to learn to switch off from the human mind and meditate. Anyway, that was his life between life uh, session. And then it turned out um, that he did learn to meditate. And then she saw him two years later and his life had just changed. Um, he, he had all kinds of changes going on in his life, which I won't go on about because this is really all about death. But I hope you're starting to get the story that um, stuff is going to be going on after you die that will be relevant to how you live. And it's really how you live that's more important than anything. Dying, of course, is a transition. I would say it's like an initiation, as birth is, that transitions you from one dimension to another. Those of you who've been studying with me for a while will not find multidimensionality anything particularly challenging because we've been looking at it for years and years and years. Anyway, I'm going to flip over to this book now, The Testimony of Light, and this is a, a cute little book. I actually love this book. It's written by uh, a woman who was a nun, and the foreword is written by the bishop that supervised their whatever it was, and it's the story of a conversation or a series of conversations that took place over months between this nun and her friend who was also a nun and they both um, left the order they'd been in because they felt um, that they were limited and anyway, Frances was the, the lady, she died, so she, she was really sick and she had a long lingering death but the two of them had... Um, been very good friends for years and they'd done mystical groups together, meditation groups together. They'd had lots of spiritual adventures together. They had a sort of a theology group that they used to sit around and talk about what would God be like and, and, and um, you know, they would pontificate about all these subjects about what they thought um, spirituality was. Um, and then what happened was because of the, the close bond between these two women after Frances died, she was able to communicate with her kind of best friend who was still in the earthly realm, and that best friend was Helen who wrote this book. So um, the first contact appeared pretty soon after Frances had died, and she basically told Helen that she'd been taken to the equivalent of a convalescent home on the inner plane because her whole being was weak from having had such a serious illness for such a long time and that she was being looked after by some other nuns 
some of whom were familiar to her from the early days when she entered into a convent. And so basically her energy field, her consciousness, everything was exhausted. She didn't have a physical body anymore, but she recounted that she needed a lot of sleep. Anyway, so she got through that phase and then she started to realize that in fact, the room she was in was made of light and that the garden outside was also made of light. There were flowers in the garden. Those flowers were made of light. And she starts to realize that she's made of light. And she starts to have conversations with the um, the, late, the the nun who runs the hospital who she perceives as being spiritually more advanced than she is. And there's a whole lot of um, interesting interactions where Frances, the dead nun, wants to continue doing service. And so she's allowed to do service when she's well enough. And she gets to look after souls who are just coming from their bodies and who are confused and don't know what's going on. And she helps them to acclimatize to being on the inner plane and to getting on with the next part of their journey. So um, whilst the stories are a little different from Memories of the Afterlife, I would say that this book is couched in quite Christian terms because Frances was a Christian nun. So even after she left the order, um, Christianity played a central part. Uh, Jesus did, you know, and, uh, so she was, everything's in those terms. And you may remember in the Bible, it says that Jesus, Jesus said, in my father's home are many mansions and I'll prepare one for you. I'll prepare a place for you. When you leave your body, I'll have a place prepared for you. And so when I um, connect with that teaching, what I understand is that all of us have a certain belief system, a certain spiritual um, way of looking at the world. And when we leave our body, we just transition into that. So we we will find that the scenery, the, the sounds, uh, what's happening will be along the lines of uh, what we felt comfortable with when we we're in human form. Anyway, um, and then there's this all-pervading consciousness and that different beings on the inner plane all have a different consciousness from each other and that you can tell how conscious a being is on the inner plane by how light-filled it is and that the amount of light can't be faked. And she talks about clothing and she says on the earth plane, people will wear clothing to try and determine, to tell you who they are. You know, we all dress up or we, we want to look like this or power dressing or whatever. And she says, on the inner plane, the essence of your consciousness, who you are as a soul, shines forth like a vibration of light and also a sound. And for years, we've been learning that souls are a vibration of light and sound. They're a geometry of light and sound. Um, they're not so much um, humanoid looking unless they want to be, but it's the light and the sound. And so she starts to meet beings in this book, Francis does. She starts to meet these really masterful beings and she knows they're masters because of the vast light that's shining out from them. So there's a couple of um, couple of nice little bits. I'll just read you one. I hope this is okay. I hope you don't mind story time. I kind of like the stories out of the books, so I hope you're enjoying the stories too. So somewhere in this book, um, halfway through a bit more, she's talking about light, divinity, reality, all-pervading consciousness. All of it was there for her acceptance. Much greater progress would have been made 
by letting go of all the human images and by allowing the spirit to absorb me, to just relax and allow the spirit to stream through me, to swim with the tide of the spirit. It's a great lesson I'm learning here as I review my mistakes. Now I'm in the spirit. There's no breakthrough to the spirit of which I once talked so glibly. Um, There's only a general gradual absorption of the amount or degree of spirit which my soul can accept. This degree, as I appreciate now, is governed by the law of progress. For the spirit is never limited. Only ourselves as receptacles govern the degree of the spirit's entrance. And she says, this is a salutary lesson. I'm aware too late in the last life experience, I but repeated old struggles. None of it was new. No adventure into matter, into the exterior, is ever fresh or untried. It's all been worked to its end, perhaps hundreds of times before, through different circumstances, even perhaps in other worlds. I can't be sure of that yet. And it will be worked again and again until we as souls learn to carry the light within us through our personalities. Free will, the development of the logical mind, the illusions of the senses, all of these tend to extinguish or at least to dim the light of divinity. But now I perceive more clearly, for I'm no longer cluttered by illusions, that the great purpose of life in matter is to illumine matter with spirit, to bring spirit into your body. Guess what Ignite Your Spirit Therapy does? Even here in my new life, I've been rushing hither and thither in search of adventure, of experience, of progress, until I've discovered I've tried to relate in my account. But now I'm letting it go. I'm not seeking anything. I absorb and I'm absorbed into the light, into love and into beauty. I know that I'm being remade. Consciousness is expanding to acknowledge and accept the fact of being a child of the living light, of already having the consciousness, all that's needed and reflecting as much of the spirit as my awareness will permit. And she says while she's having all these inner experiences of actually coming to appreciate her own light in this afterworld between lives, she says the life here keeps going on around me even though I'm having all these big experiences. The work of helping other people who are a bit bogged down in their illusions of separateness, that's occupying me and it's a joy, she says. I don't crave to pass on to the next stage and the next stage for her is being allowed to be a student in the outer courts of the universities that are here. Such glorious adventure will be mine when my consciousness is ready for it. Until such awareness is alive and active in me and I've achieved the maintenance of the deep tranquility of this knowledge, I'm content to remain here and to benefit by the loving atmosphere. So, and she goes on to talk about um, consciousness a bit more, um, but she's, she's very definite about how you can't hide from anything. There's, there's no illusion, there's no glamour, there's no self-deception, none of those things work here. Um, One reveals what one is, one advertises oneself even in one's apparel 
and the apparel is made out of light, so you can't <laughs> get around it. The light body, its dimness or its brilliance is apparent, especially to members of the group, to which the quality of such light permits graduation. So she's talking about how souls who've gained a whole lot of spirit, who've become enlightened souls, they, by their light, will naturally be drawn together naturally. It's not like you can force yourself to go and be with this really brilliant group over here. You actually have to allow that much light to come in you that then you'll be naturally part of that group. So it's very, very interesting. And for me, reading those books really confirmed some of the healing experiences that I've had as a therapist and as, as um, you know, as guru in the school, uh, helping people's souls when they transition from their bodies and getting very clear uh, conversational um, realities with these people. Uh, sometimes they're very, very happy almost straight away when they leave their bodies. They're just calm, they're peaceful, and they're just easily transitioning into this other life. And other times people are not calm, they're not comfortable, they're very distraught. And so there's many a time when I've given healings to people after they leave their body and the, it's palpable how different they are after the healing compared to before, the sense of their spirit, the sense of their completeness and having let go and they can move on and go into the light and the gratitude that they have is really phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that leads from this is the fact that on the inner plane, uh, uh, people can be very affected by what we do, people who are around the deceased before they die. If we pray for those souls who've departed, that light, the light of our prayers, actually goes into their energy field and helps them to accept the light of the limitless spirit, which I would call Parameshwari, um, faster. It's like the Paramashakti is able to merge with them a bit more because of the light we've just sent them through prayer. So praying for our ancestors, praying for friends who've left is, is great and let's make sure we remember to do that. And then through the law of, um, the law of karma, uh, hopefully when we leave our bodies, there'll be people who'll pray for us and, and to help us on our journey on the inner plane as well. Anyway, that's a little download for, um, for us to just have some uplifting and hopefully inspiring uh, ideas about death. Better than the, you know, truly, the last few thousand years, the story about death has been absolutely terrifying in the West. I don't know that we need to buy into that. Let's just, let's just understand that it's just part of life and that life will continue even though the worn-out physical body won't come with us. But it does sound like there's some good times to be had, so why would you worry about something that sounds actually quite inspiring? Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com.